Hi, I'm Susan Sunny, a resident crazy cat lady. I have eclectic music taste and I'm a bleeding heart liberal. You're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and this is The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. And I'm Wendy Sheridan. Welcome to episode 133. This season, we're still exploring democracy. We've learned about what it's like to hold a local political office, how activism affects the democratic system across the U.S., how uh, history can inform our understanding of our current situation, democracies around the world. And most recently, we talked about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the role of disinformation uh, about future targets from the right, mainly birth control. And Wendy gave a great explanation of the of the reproductive system, which was kind of very good and shocking that we would need such a thing. And extemporaneous <laughs> with no prior research. <laughs> yes, yes. Today, I interview Susan Sunny. Um, she talks about the Ohio midterm election and the challenges of learning to communicate across different political viewpoints. It was a really good conversation. I'm happy to share it with you later. This podcast is sponsored by Feminism. Are you tired of conforming to gender norms that don't really fit who you are? Have you been frustrated in meetings by having others repeat what you just said and have the room react as if it's the first time they'd heard it? Are your loan rates higher and your salary lower than the guy sitting next to you in the office? Are you unable to express your emotions without being ridiculed? Maybe it's time to ask your doctor about feminism. Side effects might include empowerment, equal pay, respect, being seen, and being heard. Ask your doctor or therapist if feminism is right for you, or you can just decide for yourself. And now, back to our podcast. Well, I'm here with Susan Sunny. Susan is a lifelong resident of Ohio, and thanks to her job as a program manager for an international company, she is fortunate to travel throughout the U.S. and Europe, and she's gotten perspectives of the U.S. political landscape from around the world. Advocating for animals was her first foray into politics, and she got engaged with electoral politics starting with the 2016 presidential election. She was a volunteer for the Elizabeth Warren campaign in 2020. So welcome thank to the you. Landscape. Thank you for inviting me. It was uh, exciting. And it was awesome meeting you at Devotional, um, where we could meet other people who uh, like-minded, progressive, I guess, uh, the island of misfits that we are, and, and really enjoyed <laughs> uh, making those connections. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's always good to meet Devo fans anywhere. And we wind up having a lot more in common, too. Excellent. (laughs) So first, I I just wanted to ask you, I can imagine that the Senate race in Ohio did not really go the way you would hope. It did not. Um, And so how, yeah. So how are you feeling post-election? It's been a few days after the election with J.D. Vance 
having what? I have a, a mixture of emotions, you know, definitely disappointed election night and the day after more angry, but I've been reflecting on that and anger doesn't do any good. And I think that's part of the problem. The reason why we're here is we have two sides. We're both angry at each other and we're not listening to each other. And I think, you know, if we were able to have discussions, I think we have more in common than we don't. It's just the defensive mechanisms that go up and we're not having good discussions. Since 2016, we talked about your podcast started around then. I was more active in politics starting then. One of the quotes that comes to mind very often is from James Baldwin is, I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. That's what kept going through my mind. But then again, when I'm having this anger response, we're not having good dialogues. In 2016, when I became more interested in politics, reading more about politics, I would share on social media these these stories that I thought, oh, if they read this, they couldn't possibly vote for 45. And what I got was unfriended, I got blocked, or I got defensive responses back. It just wasn't the the right method for a lot of people. And I was reflecting back after Tuesday's election. It's like, okay, what we're doing isn't working and how can we approach it better? I'm proud of Michigan now. They went blue and Fetterman, that was exciting. Um, so I think overall yes. it was it was healing in some races and then in Ohio, a little bit disappointing. If we look at the rural counties in Ohio, that's where we have a very heavy base of Trump supporters. And I think we don't do a good job of understanding why and how do we better approach these people to understand what their concerns are and how we can address them instead of this, you know, our side versus their side. Right. That Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One of the things that people say about Ohio in particular is that, well, it's called a swing state, and I don't know if it's going more red or if it's sort of still very purple state. I know that in the 2008 election, I was in Ohio. I actually went to see Devo when they played in support of Obama, and it was it was really like a different sign on every other yeah. house. It was very... I'm not used to seeing that, you know, because it seems to be more regionalized. And and I'm sure it is there too, but it was noticeably more complicated or just, you know, different people with different different opinions in in the same place. So what makes it a swing state, which it really did seem different to me. And they call it a bellwether, which means like, however Ohio goes, that's where the presidency goes. And I don't know how often that is, but that seems to be... Luckily, it um, was... Off. Yeah, true luckily, more often than that. <laughs> um, it's the last presidential election. That wasn't true because we've been red. That's right. And I think just my perception is after we've had the pleasure, and what a pleasure it was to have Obama as president uh, for eight years, I think it enraged people who didn't vote to vote red. I think there were people who did not mm. like. Obama because they bought into the rhetoric or whatever reason it, it is. And I think that mm-hmm. 
got people out voting in especially in rural rural areas where before um, there wasn't as high of a turnout i i would need to go back and look at those numbers to be 100 percent accurate you know but as far as that was the feel that i got there was more people going there was uh, people were louder and i think just mm. generally after the 2016 election a lot of people got louder <laughs> and and it was more energized on both sides and one of the things that i thought was interesting on prime video there's of a documentary the brainwashing of my dad and that was that was back, oh yes yeah that was like 2015 2016 that that was made and i and i've rewatched it recently and it's it feels like it's even more true a lot of the things that are going on as far as right-wing media and their use of these these tactics that can sway people and not use facts, but it doesn't matter if it's facts or not. But I think, you know, that that goes for quote unquote liberal media, media as well. But I think we're all susceptible to the same things, right? We, if you're, you lie and skew and you create confusion and doubt and blame and divide, those are all tactics and labeling. Uh, so in Ohio, Tim Ryan was the Democrat for Senate, and he he lost to that other person that is unfortunate, J.D. <laughs> Vance. And if you turn on TV, you heard taxing Tim. And while that sounds simplistic and everything, um, we I did research on. I'm in marketing and there's research on what works with people and how our brains work, how we take in information and we make decisions. There's a talk, there's a book called Thinking uh, Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, Kahneman. And he's a psychologist who's done research on how we, uh, on judgment and and decision-making. And something that we're very susceptible to is uh, simple phrases and rhyming. So they're just going in. And and I was introduced to that book through my work, where we actually had a company from Amsterdam that was on behavioral sciences talk to us. And they work with marketers from businesses and with political campaigns. So it's absolutely, you know, using our behavior against against us and to sway our opinion. And so it's not based on facts or what's really best for our own, you know, how do we vote against our own interests? Because we don't even know we're doing it. Right, right. Huh. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, how do you, how do you work against that? Because in one sense, you think, well, you have to fight fire with fire and we need to have better slogans and better, you know, marketing tactics or something like that. But do you think there's a way to get out of that cycle in a way that wins also? Well, that's, the, that's the struggle is I get the sense 
that the other side's more willing to be aggressive with lies and misinformation and skewing information. So how do you win against someone who's willing to do that? And I'm sure on the other side, they feel that we cheat. So how do we, I, it's, a, it's a great question. I, obviously it's a difficult one or it would have been solved by now. I mean, we, we have this intuition instinct that's our fast, a reflex, and that's that thinking fast and slow, 98% of our decisions are made using this reflex, and it's very belief-oriented. And then when we look at the 2% is rational thinking. So how do we get to that level? Beliefs, you know, how do we, how do we deal with beliefs? And it's, it's a challenge, I think, maybe we do need to do more research in behavior science and how can we leverage those techniques or techniques in behavior science without getting down you know in the sewer so to speak and doing it without caring about truth and caring about people because i think in the end i really do believe if we were to strip all this stuff and we're to talk to people, we want the same things. It's just we have a different perception of how we get there. Mm-hmm. That is that is really a, a, a good insight. Do you think Ohio is, I wouldn't imagine it, that idea is unique. I mean, I think most people everywhere want the same kinds of basic things in their lives, you know. Do you think there's something in particular with the culture? that you, of your state or near, or in, in an area that makes it sort of a, uh, I don't know, yeah. it's a melting pot of, of a lot of ideas and it becomes so important in our elections. And that's the one interesting thing about democracy. It's like it, a lot, our elections, just the way the setup is currently, it comes down to like five, you know, yeah. few states. Yeah, and um, I think we do have, I, I think a melting pot is a great term for it. And I, I think in our urban areas, you know, tend to be more liberal, just like other states. But I think there's some bleed over right now happening. And I am concerned about voter turnout as well. I think if we had better voter turnout, um, I know people personally, even within my family, which is frustrating, who won't vote because they feel that it doesn't matter what their vote is. You know, if I would have voted, it wouldn't have changed the thing, you know, but I try to explain if everyone who felt that way voted, it would make a huge difference. But getting past that, and then you hear, well, all politicians are the same. And that's, that's another discussion. How do I get into that discussion and make a difference and listen to them and understand where they're coming from? but be able to present something to sway them that's meaningful and factual. Absolutely. Ohio is interesting. Ohio is interesting because (laughs) it, it really is. So I, I go to a rural spot to help out at a sanctuary, animal sanctuary. And I was at a Walmart down in this rural city and someone came up to me because I had bumper stickers that it was persist from Warren and 
you know, a vote. And I have Ruth Bader Ginsburg in my window. And this person came up to me, oh, I like your car and I, I love your bumper stickers. And she was thirsty for someone who was liberal because she's surrounded by conservative, totally a Trump country. And you could see she was desperate for that connection and just wanted a hug because you know, she was afraid. Oh, wow. <laughs> she's afraid to put bumper stickers on her car. She's afraid. There's like this fear thing. And I think, I think there's fear from both sides. My parents were had someone come in to fix their phone line. And I had a discussion with him. And he was a Trump supporter. And we had this discussion. And he clearly believed that the vaccine killed his mom and that, you know, there were other things that he truly believed it and he was fearful of the left. Like, so what we think from what my thoughts and my fears are, they feel the same on the opposite side. So how do we break down those walls? And I don't have an answer. I'm trying to, that's where I'm trying to listen to books and understand how people react to each other. I've been listening to a book, Having Crucial Conversations. And I think the more we can look inward and what what can I do to improve my listening skills and my, my dialogue skills, maybe we have a chance to to make little pockets of impact. Mm-hmm. I think that is a very worthy effort because that's, as you mentioned, it's not what's going on. It's not what's going on on Twitter, that's no. for sure. <laughs> and a lot of places where it's really just about sort of scoring a point more than hearing each other. And it's tough because I, there, are certain, there are certain opinions that so that feels so offensive to me as a yes. human. It's really yeah, hard, and you know, and, but I want to be the person that can, that can listen more and listen past that and kind of get to the, what, where, what is the fear that's behind it? You know, that sort of and thing. And I've had that anger response and I've had that anger response on social media and it's not effective. I mean, it may feel good in the moment and right. you just try and put someone in their place, so to speak, but in the end, it didn't help get to the goal because I think, and then we have to be clear on what our goals are. So at the, at the high level, I would say my goal is to have people vote Democrat, but then there's a deeper part of that. Why? Why do I want people to vote Democrat? Because I believe, right, that it's, it's better for our economy. I think it's, it's better for people who are at risk and and populations that are at risk. It's better for healthcare and the environment, all all these things that I care about, I believe it's better for, but how do we, how do we then translate that into a discussion and find a common ground with someone instead of, Hey, I just want you to vote for my candidate. Well, why, you know, well, I believe they can help you. What are like what are your concerns? Okay. Well, this is how I think we can help you instead of just vote for my guy, vote for my lady. 
That's a good point. Thank you for that insight, for sure. <laughs> you know, what is it that really matters to everyone we talk to about this stuff? So, good point, for sure. What are some of the things you've learned either about Ohio politics or U.S. politics overall from your travels? You, I know you've been traveling abroad and talk to people in places that are oh, not sure. here. So it's maybe less myopic other well, places. I, I yeah. keep in touch with people. For example, I had a, um, a student from Germany and he emails me on a regular basis. And, uh, he emailed me on Monday I know the midterm elections are coming. The world pays attention to our elections. And the people who I interact with, a majority of them, at least that, that speak to me about our politics, they're liberal, what we would consider liberal. And they don't understand how the 2016 election happened. And it's fearful for them because we are part of a global economy. We are part of this global piece. And I think that's an interesting part of being part of a, a global company is how our politics bleeds over to the world and vice versa. And we have to give that the credit. The, it's not just here that the inflation is happening. It's happening globally. In fact, seems to be less impactful here than some other countries. Other countries are dealing with layoffs and and these the gas prices and everything. It's not just the United States. And definitely there was fear from the other countries. Yeah, I I feel fearful for them. I want to make sure we get the next presidential election right for us and the world because I know that the wrong person in there again could uh, could do a lot more damage, and that's that's not what I would like. For oh, the right. world, and when for we sure. think about Europe, for example, we look at our history. The last time that we had a war on our land, civil war, we didn't have a war on our in our country since then. Where Europe, it's it's right next to them. Like, my friend from Germany, think of how close they are to the Russia-Ukraine, that battle. It's very scary for them because they're within striking distance. And we just have never had to deal with that or even think about that. So I think that also escalates their fear on what's going on in the United States because, again, it can put them in immediate danger. Oh, another thing on healthcare, someone from the Netherlands, he assumed, and this was when going back where the Affordable Care Act, uh, when that came out, he was shocked that we didn't have insurance for everyone. As an advanced culture, like how do we not take care of our citizens. And I think it's shocking to them when they realize that we don't have uh, health care so that people don't go bankrupt. It's shocking to them that people can go in debt to get a secondary education, that 
that we don't protect our workforce. And uh, for example, my company is going through layoffs. The US, they can lay off immediate. For some of the other countries, they can't because they have workmen's councils in place to protect their, their workforce. Mm-hmm. So what do we, where do we do? Where do we go from here, do you think? I know your communication is important and it's also like a slow road to getting somewhere in a lot of ways. Yeah. So what do you think, what do, what do you think is next for, I guess, for you as, a, as an activist? Do you have a sense of what you might be working on next and what, what do you hope is next for well, us? Yeah, I'm interested sense. in trying to to brainstorm ways of how do we get the discussions happening, because there was a, there was a study about you know people go door to door to talk to people to get them to vote and to see the canvassing, but there was a study from some people from UC Berkeley that if you go in there with a script and you just talk from the script. It's not truly effective. If you go in there and actually have a conversation, goes back to that conversation where you're talking to them, understanding their needs or their concerns, that's where you hit that effectiveness. It takes more time and you clearly need to be more comfortable with the content and have have resources available so that you can have the discussion and, and bring up factual uh, supporting facts and and things like that. But how do you get the time? How do you make it so that it can be um, replicated? I don't have have an easy answer, and I don't think there is an easy answer. Again, because I think we would do it, but it's something that I'm thinking about. You know, maybe there's you know we have these town halls. Is there a way to make them more efficient? Can we do more town halls virtually? What about, uh, you know, when we do town halls virtually, how do we make sure that it's not eliminating people who, uh, certain populations who don't have computers, who don't have uh, the resources, so that we're not uh, discriminating against a certain class of people as well? It's very challenging. Right. It's a lot of moving parts. I, I did some phone banking for this past election for, for Pennsylvania. And that was, I, I think I tried to do a little bit of what you, you're mentioning in that I had the scripts, but I sort of wanted to take in the basic ideas of what we wanted to say and just talk from, talk as a human, not just like read the lines, because I think that that does people just would be like click, you know, like, well, people, a lot of people hung up on me anyway, but I did get to have a f- couple of conversations where it was, it felt a little more organic, you, you know, so maybe that's well, a little and start. It, was it easy to get people to talk from your experience with the phone banking? Was it easier when you had someone who actually picked up the phone? Was it easy to get them engaged in a conversation or did they want to rush off the phone? There were a couple who were wanting to talk and were excited about the election and, you know, getting things done and that sort of thing and most hung up and a couple were very angry and that's what the one thing they were like you people need to stop calling me (laughs) you know and that's that's a problem too like you know but which so i don't know how we which is understandable because you know there's the texting too and 
where I think that yeah. somewhat cool and you know better than getting a phone call, but it can be very annoying as well when you're getting bombarded with it. So how do you make it so it's find that balance? And balance is is a hard thing because find that balance. You, you know, my balance is different than the, the next person's balance. So that's right. That's just a challenge. Yeah, I feel like even though all those emails and texts pissed me off, I did donate <laughs> eventually. So it either annoyed me enough or something enough. So it it works, but it's precarious. You know, it's interesting. So I don't know. I'm not sure I know the answer to that either. But I, I, I'm curious about what you do to chill. I know that you are, uh, you, you're a fan of music and you like to take care of animals. And so are those things, some of the things you do to sort of as a counterbalance to thinking about politics yeah, and activism? And actually, I had to pull back from a lot of the stories recently just because it gets, it was getting um, overwhelming emotionally for me where I was angry a lot. And again, that's counterproductive and we tend to we were talking about devotional how that was healing to be with like-minded people and i think we tend to gravitate to like-minded people which i think there's absolutely a need to do that for healing and to feel good but how do we then do the uncomfortable part of going and having discussions with people on the other side and that's that's the struggle that I'm having is how to do that but as far as enjoy music and concerts dinner with friends having great discussions like we're having now I think the other thing that I enjoy sharing another passion of mine is is my veganism and and sharing that information which can be as polarizing sometimes as as politics, which is interesting. And how do you have conversations where you don't set someone off to be defensive about it? Because that's not my goal. And how do you set that expectation when you have those discussions? So it's it's interesting where it's, you know, we have hot topics and and veganism is actually a hot, is one of those hot button topics. Right, right. Oh well. Well I'm getting ready for a vegan oh, Thanksgiving. Oh excellent. So. I'm I'm happy <laughs> It'll to be hear fun, that. Yeah. And I and a friend of mine, she's a vegan chef and we had this party and holy cow. if she was my personal chef, I'd need to build a bigger doorway in my house because it was it was phenomenal. <laughs> you know, she knows what she's doing in the kitchen. I do not know what I'm doing in the kitchen. So I eat pretty much, I'm a raw foods vegan for most of the time. And, but music, friends, family, and animals. That sounds like a good, good way to be. (laughs) And more recently, tattoos. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that sounds like fun too. (laughs) Nice. Well, thank you for talking to us and to me and to us. So we, uh, this will be out soon. So people will get to hear this conversation. I appreciate it and we will I will be more thoughtful about how to how to reach people how to really reach people and that's those are some good thoughts. Well, thank you so very thank much. You.
You got questions? We got answers. And today's question is from my friend Kirsten Houseconnect. And she asks us, were there any unusual holiday traditions in your family? I'm not sure what to say about this. Do you have an answer for this one? Not offhand. I don't know if, because that's the thing. It's like, I don't know if, you know, anything my family was doing, I figured was normal. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's like, I wasn't really exposed to too many other families' holiday traditions to know like, holy shit, we're weird, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. You know, we were, I guess, unusual in that, you know, I was raised Jewish. So that was already non-standard, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to think Thanksgiving. I don't know if they were unusual, but I have like home movies of my dad would film us all, you know, during Thanksgiving. And we have like 10 years of very similar footage, like my mom bringing out a turkey to the table and then panning across the table for all of the people. And that gets depressing because every once in a while there's somebody who's missing because they've died, uh-huh. you know, that kind of thing. But you also um, see like the kids growing up and stuff too, right? Yes, so you see the kids cool. growing up. And, and yeah, one of my uh, one of my projects that I've wanted to do for for 50 years probably is is edit some things so it's just my mom bringing out the turkey bringing out the turkey bringing out the turkey bringing out the turkey you know just one after the other and then the other shots too but make it a little less depressing so you don't really notice that it's people aren't there because they've died because that Mm -hmm. wouldn't be fun i think the family i married into has some traditions that i thought were a little unusual but that's also because I have never been in other people's houses during Christmas. They they do everything on Christmas Eve. And I think that was partly because my father-in-law's birthday was December 24th. So we would be celebrating his birthday. And then, then there would be the opening of the hugely massive amount of presents that are in the room, which would take like the rest of the, the evening. And when the kids were little... The, the pile of presents was literally bigger than the tree sometimes, and they did not have small trees. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, that was eye-opening for me. And I don't know that every family, every Christian family does that, but like, holy crap, that was that blew me away the first year. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Let me think about my family. Well, one thing I wanted to say before I forgot, I think one of the things that was unusual that I heard you mention was I don't think you had pumpkin pie or something. That was a thing that you never ate. Was that right? Right. Not for Thanksgiving, no. My, okay. I don't think my parents ever had it either. Yeah, I thought that was odd. I was like, wow, how do you not have pumpkin pie ever? <laughs> that was like a sort I of I still haven't tasted thing. it. I know. It's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Our Thanksgiving and Christmas meals were remarkably similar. They were like actually almost identical. And when I think about, that was just what was normal to me. And then when I would hear other people talk about like, oh, Christmas, you have a ham and then you have, we would have eggnog actually at both. Like, so every, like, it was like all my mom's favorite holiday things we just did twice, like (laughs) once in November, once in December for the, for the most part. So that I think was probably unusual. 
I'm trying to think of which ones, you know, think, I mean, we had stuff, celery, celery with like cream cheese my mom would make. And I think that was probably at both. It might've been at one only. I think it was both. Christmas would be more though, because there were like more candies and more uh, gifts and all that kind of stuff. So that was like an extra added part of it. But the meal was the same, I think. I currently, well, I might break my tradition this year, but my my current Christmas over the at least 10 years or so was just try to do try to pretend it's not Christmas basically (laughs) I don't know I had a lot of trauma around that holiday so when I kind of didn't have to do anything I would I would do Christmas Eve with Kevin and Doc's family and those are some cool and somewhat unusual traditions I guess but then my Christmas day would be I'm getting I'm the day before I'm going to get in my favorite Indian food and basically not go out and yeah. just work and just do, just get in my brain and do stuff like do writing stuff or work stuff or, and kind of let it wash over <laughs> because it's, it was nice to not to sort of work through the anxiety over the years and not have to mm. have it be so immediate. But this year I might have a vegan thanks. Uh, well, I know I'm doing vegan Thanksgiving, but vegan Christmas with, my friend hmm. Amy and friends. So that will be, that'll be new, new and new yeah. and familiar both. Cool. But, yeah. So I don't know. I can't think of anything majorly weird about my family. Other than... I, I guess the only other th- unusual thing is, you know, we would celebrate Hanukkah and occasionally my birthday would fall in the middle of it. Mm. which it actually did last year. When I was a kid, I felt cheated because my brother's birthday was in August and they would always combine Hanukkah and my birthday presents together. And so I figured I got cheated out of, I got cheated out of a a present opportunity. Right. (laughs) Because usually Hanukkah presents were not as opulent as christmas presents because you have to spread it out over eight days i mean that was like the joke with the cards against humanity when they did that hanukkah thing and and you got socks like three times <laughs> and, yeah so i don't know if that's unusual or not i i'm sure there's other people other other jewish kids whose birthdays have fallen on hanukkah so. well it's interesting that it wouldn't be all the time like some people if your birthday is on December 24th is always Christmas Eve. Oh, yeah. And it's always has that well, situation. It's so. Yeah, it's yeah. a different, it's a lunar calendar. I, right, I think right. this year Hanukkah is kind of leading into Christmas this year. It's late. Yeah. So, which is fine. I, I don't mind. Oh, I don't celebrate either of those things now, so it doesn't matter. I celebrate Yule on the right. 21st. So, although I'm probably going to end up you know, my my in-laws do cr- a big Christmas thing. And at the funeral, everybody's saying, well, I'm going to see you at Christmas. I said, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, nowadays, I, my, my, the, my main holidays are the pagan holidays. And then I also do things on the on the holidays that are other people's traditions. So, you know. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Anyway. Well, thank you for this question, Kirsten. Thank you. And if I think of anything else weird, I will add it in another show. (laughs) (laughs) Because we always talk about our weird things eventually. 
Well, I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan, on Instagram at Robin Renee Music, and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. Let me know if there's a place you like to hang out on Discord or if you travel in subgenius circles where you can find me as Andrew Genus. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. And remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. So send us your questions and we might answer it on an upcoming show. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, be well. Manifest abundance or not. <laughs> and keep left. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening.